can we elaborate on go slow? Yeah, that phrase, so like, just so the people you know. You don't have to eat a whole handful of mushrooms. No one, no one says that you have to eat a whole handful of mushrooms or a whole bag of mushrooms like Super Troopers. Like that, that scene is Super Troopers. That is the most amazing scene because the guy's in this car and he just eats his entire bag of mushrooms. <laughs> That's like the dumbest thing you can do. So, Dr. Molly, thank you so much for joining us on Mushroom Talk. For our listeners out there, I'd love for you to give your introduction because you just do so much and you do it so well. Uh, I don't know if I have the right words to introduce you other than you're an incredible human being. I appreciate that, Alejandro. Um, I would say I am a rebel doctor, first and foremost. I decided that I was not going to do medicine the same way as I was taught. And I was going to focus on creating health instead of just fixing sickness. And um, I also built a personal brand called drmolly.co or Dr. Molly is my nickname because um, it just seemed like the appropriate name for a doctor who promotes psychedelics. I'm like really into harm reduction. I'm really into teaching people about how not to hurt themselves. I'm also really into research and development. And I, I teach a course at Stanford on health span, soon to be uh, adjunct professor at Stanford, soon to be published author. I just inked a book deal this week. Um, started a podcast last year. That was the first podcast recorded on pod on, um, on clubhouse ended up being like, you know, this thing that's coming and rolling and it's thing called the psychedelic news hour. So I'm so stoked about that continuing. And then I, I advise startups and I've been a part of a lot of startups. So I've worked with like over 45 companies in the last 10 years and, I am constantly being asked to join companies and I'm like constantly saying, no, I need to build my company, which is this girl. So after getting this book deal, I basically decided to just like go way more all in on me. And it's not from an egoic state. It's literally from the fact that I get like so many messages from people who are like, I saw this video. It was amazing. Where can I learn more? And I'm just like, people are, people want more content from me and I don't have anything out there. So it's like time to really just put the gas pedal on this and start teaching people and educating people, which is my real passion actually. It's just like being a teacher. So with the love of the internet, I get to start doing that at scale. And that's, that's really be awesome. A lot of next year. And so what does that look like in terms of your book and investing in yourself? I mean, it started with realizing I just wasn't really happy in my job in Silicon Valley. I wasn't like feeling super fulfilled and I wanted to do more for help more people. I wanted to help a lot more people. And, um, I've always felt like young people in our country are really unnecessarily unhappy right now. And it seems like the reason why so many of them are unhappy is they're just, they don't know how to take care of themselves. And they also don't know how to find their purpose. And so a lot of what my brand really relates to, it really, like really discusses is like, how do you create more capacity to, to live a life of your dreams? So what is it like, what does that mean? Right? So Health is all about building energetic capacity in the body and then and then like directing that towards something meaningful. And the hardest part about life is that we have to make our own meaning and we have to find our own purpose. And the whole institutional world that we've been living in is changing. And so it's really hard for a young person right now to actually do these things because there's so much confusion with the world right now. So I feel like my probably highest good is to continue to help as many companies and people as possible mm-hmm. and just just like be a, a vocal leader in the space of psychedelics because I think they have a role in promoting health, but I also think that they can harm you if you're irresponsible. So, you know, there you go. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's really epic. And I love that you bring a holistic approach to medicine, yeah. right? And you talk about food as medicine, a lot of, a lot of yeah. it. And in terms of harm reduction and psychedelics, I, specifically for us is psilocybin, right? It's like one of the, the least dangerous compounds that I think Literally alcohol like causes. Dramatically like less like, like there was that study in London, right? Where yeah. they showed like alcohol was like the number one and like mushrooms are the, the alcohol lowest. Alcohol will ruin your life and it will ruin your relationships and it'll ruin your health and it'll ruin your looks mm-hmm. and it'll kill people if you get into a car and run into someone. So why drink? You know, it's just not worth it. I, I literally, every time I have a I've drink these days, I'm just like, I don't even like this. Like, it's not even good. There are better drugs. <laughs> I haven't drugs. had a drink in like, five years. I haven't had a drink in five years. So yeah, I'm I'm on that train right now. Like, it's funny because you drink around people and then you're like, why do I do this? Oh yeah, because we drink to be on the same wavelength as others. 
But the problem is, is that I don't like that low vibe wavelength. It's just bad vibes, you know? Yeah. I love that, that you speak about the energetic body as well as the physical. How do you define health? Because I know you have this sure. very radical definition for health that I subscribe to, but I'd yeah. love for you to tell our listeners what that looks like. I mean, so I, I'm like always a broken record on this because I'm always telling people the same thing, which is that the WHO says that health is a complete absence of disease or infirmary. That's like saying your home will never have an ant infestation. Like, and that your house is only a good house if it has never has an ant infestation. Or if, you're, if your house isn't perfect, you're not healthy. The reality is, is that health is the ability to adapt and self-manage in the face of adversity. So like how well does your home weather storms and bounce back? right? Like we are now all being challenged by climate destabilization and by pandemics and by just general chaos in the world. And like really when you're healthy means that you can bounce back from that. You can actually get hit with all the stress and it doesn't break you. It actually can make you, you basically build health within your body to make you stronger. So that's through this concept of hormesis. And What's so hormesis? Hormesis is basically how little little bits of stress can make you mm -hmm. stronger. And so it's like the, the right dose of stress can actually make, tr tell your body, oh, there's a stressor. I should adapt, make myself stronger. But the problem is, is that most people are just enduring chronic daily stressors that makes them that makes them actually more prone to fall apart when they get hit with a big stressor. So yeah. like when I think about health, I'm like always asking, okay, so what does that mean to be mm -hmm. adaptive and how do you self-manage? And so basically like I can break it down in a, in a bunch of different ways, but essentially like your body's really designed to keep you alive and to help you survive in, in uncertainty. And it's always trying to predict what's going to happen next so that it can prepare you. But one of the best ways to prepare your body for greater demands is to put demands on it in the present, like exercise, right? Like eating lots of fruits and vegetables, which have what's called xenohormetic stressors, which is when you eat plants like cruciferous vegetables and they have slightly toxic, but actually very healthy compounds that can actually make your body increase, upregulate its own detoxification pathways, right? So this is like what nobody really knows to talk about, but it's part of the reason why eating right and exercising is so healthy. It's because your body says, oh, I see this demand of exercise. I'm going to be making you stronger so that tomorrow, if you have a bigger demand, you can handle that. That's why weightlifting is so important. That's why cardiovascular exercise is so important. But that's just like the basics of building a healthy body, right? But like, what do they do on a molecular level? Well, what, they what that does is when you eat healthy food and when you exercise, what you do is you create bioenergetic capacity. That means that you literally have more energy in the body to meet any demands that you have. Demands can be psychological demands. They can be work demands. They can be literally dealing with a temperature demand. Like if you're in Austin right now and you're dealing with um, cold temperatures, somebody who is more like when we live in warm weather all the time, we never experience cold. We actually become adapted to the warm and that actually makes them less able to handle cold. Yeah. So what we want to do, like I'm in the Midwest right now. I hate winter. And I'm never going to be like a winter person, but you know what I did is I started running outside in like sub 30 degree weather. And it made me a lot stronger actually, because I was literally taking, telling my mitochondria that there's a demand to meet the ability to make myself warm in the cold. And so I'm going to meet that demand by making more mitochondria to make me warmer. So it's literally like all about building batteries in the body. And so capacitance, right? Mm -hmm. Capacity, capacitance. The, these are terms that that really make a lot of sense when you think about a system that either doesn't have enough capacity or has like a system that has too little capacity but has too many demands. There's a problem, right? Enough. You're, you're, you're going to stretch it, right? And you get a stress and starts breaking down. Yes, that's right. like the healthcare system right now. So the healthcare oh. system has massive demands, not enough capacity. Things are starting mm -hmm. to break. That's why we have to do lockdowns. Because literally they like, they cannot, they can't meet the capacity. And, and, and the lockdown repurpetates the very thing that we don't want to happen, right? Because like right. We, we haven't seen, what are your thoughts on the fact that we have not seen health officials give us healthy advice or guidance, like exercise, sunlight, healthy vegetables, bonkers. right? And that's the second part. That's one question. The second question is like, for our listeners, like, I believe that mitochondrial health is the absolute foundation for everything. So like, yeah. what are some of the best practices for mitochondrial health? And then we'll segue into psychedelics and right. we'll go into that. Yeah. yeah. So I think like the ones I just mentioned are pretty strong, right? So the, the exercise and the, um, exercise and the, and the food, right? So those are the, the big ones, right? But then there's the things that you don't think about. 
which is the battery wasters, right? The unnecessary psychological stress that we put on ourselves by worrying incessantly about our problems. Like Mm. I had to develop a super stoic perspective in like October because I was like alone and isolated in Florida. And I was like, oh my God, I have no friends. And I went from having like tons and tons of friends to no friends. And I was like, I'm going to have to adopt a new way of living. Like I'm going to have to get a lot tougher and a lot stronger and just mastermind my thoughts. So like being a master of your thoughts and the ruminative, like perseverative thinking that most people like get stuck in, that is really important. So meditation and like journaling and like all of the mental fitness habits that you can develop to actually become more capable of handling psychological stress because that's where a lot of our stuff comes from is our own fears. And then I would say like, you know, a lot of people are super into sauna and they're super into cold plunge, but like a lot of people don't have the ability to get a sauna or a cold plunge. But like, if you live in cold weather, go cold weather train. If you live in hot weather, go hot weather train. The sun, the sun itself is a source of infrared heat. So getting outside, getting in nature, reducing your stress as much as possible, but also adding little stressors. I would say, by the way, with the caveat, the, the, the hormesis stuff works best when you're not under crazy chronic stress. So it's all about timing this stuff. So if you are in peacetime metabolism, you want to give yourself little extra stressors to make yourself a little bit stressed out. So if we're in peacetime metabolism. Like like before the pandemic. Yeah. Like the world's fine. Everything's fine for the most part. That's when you want to be like, when generally things are calm and peaceful in the world, Mm -hmm. that's when you want to like challenge yourself really hard with exercise challenges with like a marathon or like like marathon training training would be a good example, you know, like, or even just like developing a really strong fitness routine. Now, when you're like super completely burned out to the point where you're dead and you're drained, you don't want to go out and start like, you know, powerlifting. Okay. Like you want to (laughs) work up to that level of exercise. You want to like meet yourself where you're at. If anything, you want to start doing like yoga and restorative exercise, walking, just like self-care, you know, like gentle, but when you're, cause it's all about recovery when you're under like chronic stress. Now, when you're under, like, you know, when you're, when you're like, okay, my life is pretty stable and, and I can do more to, to challenge myself. That's when you start want to start building in the hormetic stressors and mm-hmm. making yourself stronger and more resilient. And so doing things that are challenging, um, is the, is the right move. Now I was like pretty burned out in October And I had to just totally like chill out on the exercise and just walk a lot because I was just like, okay, I'm like burning myself out. This is dumb. And so I- How did you recognize that you were burning out? What were were some of the triggers and- It can really creep up on you just so you know. Like when when coffee starts to hurt your kidneys, you know you're burning out. (laughs) Like when you're drinking, like when you're really starting to depend on caffeine in order to function properly, that's when you've got a problem. That's a signal. When you're not waking up in the morning really rested and you're kind of struggling to get out of bed, you're starting to like have low energy levels. Um, When you are just not being really like, I would say that like the big thing for me was just like physically I could feel my body was like, I could just feel it wearing out a little bit. I was like, I don't feel generally awesome. And I usually feel generally awesome. So I don't think most people feel generally awesome. I think most people feel pretty shitty. Um, but like my standard for health was really high. I had just used up a lot of capacity. So Mm -hmm. like the thing about health, it's like you've got batteries, but you use your bat, you use the things that you store, like you use the stored capacity. And then the problem is, is that if you get close to close to burning out, then you you start like noticing you're less empathetic. You're just less happy. You're just like, aren't as excited or motivated about your work. Like it's just more work to do the work that you were previously excited to do. A lot of it's Mm -hmm. psychological, and a lot of it's physical. Like you just don't feel good. Um, so I was just noticing burnout was kind of creeping up on me. And I was like, okay, course correct. Stop working as much on, like stop working on weekends. Um, call your friends more. Take time off. Stop working at 6 p.m. every night if you can. Like really just be disciplined with your t- with your recovery. And I, I recovered really pretty quickly. By the end of the year, I felt back to normal. And then, Similar to that that metaphor that you're speaking, your house was used to that level of stressor, right? That you knew how to get that feedback loop in a short period of time. Yeah. I mean, I was like really just being like, it's time to repair, you know? 
So I was in repair mode and then I was still working a lot, but I was definitely more repair mode. I just scaled back a lot of my projects and decided I would, I would extend my timelines. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of what it comes from is like deadlines that you set for yourself. Like I was like, okay, I don't actually need to finish this one project. Like right now I can finish it next year. I had just, I, I had accomplished a lot last year. I had a, ran my practice. I started a supplement company. I taught at Stanford. I was building an online course, which I didn't finish, which is fine. But I was working on a book proposal to sell. And you were and launching so, Psychedelic News Hour. And I did. Be, yeah, I launched Psychedelic like, News Hour. It was, like, it was like one of the most productive years of my life. But there's a point where like I wasn't really fun to work with. Like My co-founder was like, Molly, like you're just not, you're not fun right now. Like This isn't fun. That's and so, so interesting. I was like, okay, good. I need to take a break. So January comes along and I'm feeling really good again. And I'm like really excited and motivated to get back into exercise. So I started a pretty intense exercise regimen. And honestly, the more I, the more I work out, the better I feel. And it's mm-hmm. almost like my exercise is my battery charging. It's like, and you know, like I, I'm, I actually started eating, I started fasting less and eating more this year. I started, I, I stopped doing as much low carb. I started doing a bit higher carb. You know, you learn a lot through just like, the, the thing about health, what I'm trying to explain to people is like health is dynamic and changes. And yep. just because you're not sick means you're healthy. And just because you're sick means you're not healthy. Some people do have chronic diseases and they actually have pretty good health, but they're just dealing with something that, that they have accumulated in their life. So that, that, that's a great segue, right? Yeah. It's like when accumulation brings that level of stress, right? And so yeah. what role can psychedelics, specifically psilocybin that you've seen in the space? And I know you're, you're sure. very much into ketamine. I've, I have zero experience with ketamine. Yeah. I, I had a very bad trip back in 2009 with it. So I, I, oh, yeah. I kind of stay, stay away from yeah. it. But what are you seeing in the space of psychedelics that can help A, with mental health and B, how psychedelics are transforming the body? I, first of all, I don't prescribe psilocybin, so I can't tell mm-hmm. anyone in listening that like you should go take this. But I will say, if I hadn't have had a psilocybin trip at, at the time of my burnout, like where I was burning out, if I didn't have if I didn't have that experience, I don't think I would have been able to actually have the conversation with my body and my mind that I needed to have. And I actually, I mean, like I'm really out of the closet at this point. Like people should know by now that I promote psychedelics. But I had a psychedelic trip um, and I hadn't done any mushrooms last year. And I just, I just like knew that I, it was time. And I, so I, 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 and I would never recommend to do this at home because to be honest with you, I'm like a total pro. And if you're a beginner or newbie and you, you take a bunch of mushrooms, you will hurt yourself. So I knew the dose I was taking was therapeutic. I knew I was in a safe location. I had people I could talk to and I, and I journeyed internally and I put an eye mask on and I had this experience and I cried for like half of a day because my body was like, I was just like, I'm so sorry for doing this to you. I was like apologizing to my body for being so hard on it and expecting so much from it (laughs) and not being kinder to it. Because like, I, I mean, I really do expect a lot out of myself. As you can probably tell, I've accomplished a lot. But the problem is, is that in that drive is also a perfectionist and a person that has always struggled with perfectionism. And the problem, the downside of that is like, I literally was like breaking down and physically was like, I'm so, I had to like literally cry and apologize to myself for being so um, incredibly just overwhelmingly hardworking in the last year to the point where I was starting to really not feel well. And it was like a really beautiful moment in my year where I was like, you don't have to do all this all at once. Like there is enough time. Like you don't have to continue at this pace. Like, what are you trying to prove? You've already accomplished so much. Like, what is it that is missing? You know? And a lot of it is this culture we live in where it's just this like consistent, obsessive, achievement-oriented life. I, I agree. There, we, there's no there's no focus on freedom and there's no focus on fulfillment, right? It's just achieve, achieve, achieve success. And, yeah. and in this conversation, how did you... Self-forgiveness is a very powerful thing. And psilocybin, self-compassion, right? Psilocybin somewhat kind of brings this mirror to us, right? It doesn't it's force us, but it, yeah. but it brings this, invites us, yeah. right? And what do you see the potential in the marketplace for individuals with mental health issues or anxiety or overthinking and things of that nature? Cause yeah. we've seen the results of the macro doses. Yeah. Right. 
We know John Hopkins and Pierre London College, but you spoke very specifically around a therapeutic. Can yeah. you give context as to the therapeutic and then talk sure. about like the microdoses as well, yeah. like the different... So there's all sorts of levels of psychedelic use, right? But the way that I describe it is that there's like the microdose, like the sub-perceptual dose that you really just notice your day is slightly better. But um, for some people, by the way, if they microdose on psilocybin, they will... It, it, it's a it's a non-specific amplifier. So it's going... If you're feeling anxious, some people feel more anxious. If you're feeling motivated, some people feel more motivated. If you're feeling kind of like, you know, nervous about something, you might feel more nervous. So like, it's really important to know that like, just because you may not have like a perceptual, like you may not see anything, you can still feel different when you microdose. So that's why we do need more studies, but that microdose is like five to 10 milligrams. Right. And then like, once you get up to like, I would say 15 to 30, you're in like the museum dose level, which I call, which is, Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of like, so it's funny because if you actually think about these dosing, like LSD is pretty similar except for it's micro micrograms. So right. Like LSD, like five to 10 micrograms is a microdose and about 15 to 30 is like a museum dose, which is what I call. And then, um, then there's like concert dose, which is like 50, right. Or right. 50 micrograms or 50 milligrams. And that's when you're like in a concert environment, you're dancing and like, you know, I can't, I'm not recommending that, but I am saying that that's typically what people do. And then, then there's like, once you start getting up to the gram level, that's mm-hmm. when you're starting to really go into the whole, like, okay, like this is starting to like have a real effect. And that's when you start to see, you know, hallucinations typically, like once you get to three and a half grams, that's like the, that's Johns Hopkins, their dose. Yeah. And so, um, and that's, psilocybin by the way. So, and and by the way, I would not recommend anyone do 350 micrograms of of, of LSD ever. Like (laughs) I would not recommend that. And in, in like even 100 micrograms is an insane amount for a lot of people. So I'm just, we just like, look, you are, this is not a recommendation to go out and dose Mm -hmm. yourself with this thing, these things. Yeah. Agreed. That's the point. But the point is that people should know what they're doing and not hurt themselves. So this is the thing, right? Like people don't know what they're doing with this stuff on the street. And so that's why they get hurt. And that's why they have hard trips. And that's why they have bad experiences that they can't move away from. That's the problem with these things being on the street. I, you know, I knew what I was doing with my dosing and I knew exactly how much I was taking. And so for me, it was like the amount that I needed to fully open up and to completely just like just like take a really good look in the mirror of like how I was living. Mm -hmm. And like a lot of people struggled last year with overworking them. A lot of people didn't work enough because they were just completely in panic survival mode. And some people just were totally overworking themselves because crisis, the word for crisis in in Chinese is danger and opportunity. So um, like I kind of saw two patterns of behavior last year of like people who are just completely going crazy with business and did really well. And the people who were just like, I give up, I'm not doing this. This is too much for me this year. So the way that I would kind of describe it is like, when it comes to these medicines, what they're studying them for is for like the therapeutic dose for for like breakthroughs. However, there's also people that are going to try to commercialize microdosing. And that's, that's definitely in the pipeline. There's like a company that is trying to do LSD microdosing for ADD. And I totally hope that they succeed because I think it'd be a great option. But of course you need to have the research to get these things approved and then they need to be properly prescribed. And then we need to have, make sure that they're not prescribed in a way that will cause diversion so that people won't end up dosing themselves. You know, what do you see in, in terms of that? Like, let's talk about the positives of these commercializations of microdoses. Cause like, as you know, standardization of dosing and sourcing is like really valuable. Because then you know it's a consistent experience. Is there gonna is there a body? Uh, is there gonna be like a third body that's gonna be standardizing? Is this the FDA? Is there gonna be a new one? Is there gonna? Oh be- no! This is like this is what the FDA does. Is they basically monitor the manufacturing and production and distribution of medicines, mm-hmm. and then they have to be re- they have to be rescheduled by the DEA. But the FDA's job is to ensure that drugs are safe, and so they're going to be going really hard on the entire supply chain for these, these substances, which is why a lot of these companies are actually partnering with manufacturing facilities that have already gotten these licenses for cannabis production because they're like, Oh, like obviously you need to have all these licenses to have controlled substances to produce them. 
And then, you know, like part of what people are patenting is these synthetic versions of these drugs to ensure that they are extremely standard. Like the dose is the dose that there's no question. Like, whereas right now, when you buy mushrooms from a dealer, you don't know how strong they are. One, one mushroom from one guy, maybe a totally different experience than another mushroom from another guy. The downside of that is you just never really know. So I always tell people, look, go start low, go slow, titrate up. The worst trip I, I ever had was when um, someone told me. Can you tell, can you, can we elaborate on go slow? Yeah. That phrase, so like, just so that people eat, know. You don't have to eat a whole handful of mushrooms. No one, no one says that you have to eat a whole handful of mushrooms or a whole bag of mushrooms like super troopers. Like that, that scene is super for troopers. That is the most amazing scene because the guy's in this car and he just eats his entire bag of mushrooms. <laughs> that's like the dumbest thing you can do. That's literally what people do in like, in like social situations, right? Like the actual cool, like the, the right thing to do is to like eat like a tiny corner of a mushroom instead of like the whole just, thing. Right. What is it? I've, heard, I've heard that you can, you can't turn the music down. You can turn it up. Yeah. Right, like you, you can't turn you can't the volume turn down. It down. There's no, yeah, you can't click. turn it down. Yeah. There's a company creating an LSD neutralizer. Oh shit. Tell me more about There's this. There's a company That's... that is like inventing a LSD neutralizer so that like, if you're in a clinic and you're having a really challenging trip and you really need it, you just need it to stop. You just can take this medicine. Now here's the thing. This already exists. It's called Xanax. It's called Valium. Like benzos are the neutralizer of six psychedelics. They just turn off your brain. But, you know, like this company's, everyone's trying to find, everyone's looking for patent grabs. So these companies are looking for things that they can patent and, and then produce. And mm. like, and, and that's just how the biotech world works. But it's a little obvious, you know, like it's kind of funny because. And like, what do you think uh, about it? Speaking, speaking of patent grabs, right? Like we're seeing companies patenting, handholding or wanting to patent soft furniture, oh right? Like I don't, I don't want to oh mention any names, but you know exactly Literally, what I'm talking about, right? This is just like, this is just evil. I almost threw up in my mouth. I was like. It's like, it's like basically evil because you're literally saying that like, if you want to do therapeutic psilocybin, you got to do it with us. Fuck that shit. I'm sorry. Like that is absurd. That is absolutely absurd. Like, no, like it's hands just down. the intention no. behind it, right? Like it was just like that having just the intention to file the patent just signals. Well, let's get one thing very, very clear about mushrooms. Double Blind is selling an online course right now on Instagram that shows you how to grow them in your basement. So yeah. just so everyone knows, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to grow mushrooms. <laughs> now, am I going and telling everyone to go grow their own mushrooms? Absolutely not. Because the truth is, is you may really screw up the mushroom and maybe, you you know, maybe you grow something else. Like who knows? That's not safe. But the point is, is that like humans are not stupid. People will find loopholes. People have always done Mm -hmm. this from the beginning of time. Like there is enough desire to heal that there will be opportunity for people to get help through a bunch of different opportunities. The decriminalization alone is going to be game changing for this. So I'm just, I'm just a big believer in that, that decriminalization of mushrooms is going to create a democratization of like psychedelic assisted therapy for a lot more access for a lot more people. And furthermore, there is a complete like spiritual argument here that this is a bit of spiritual warfare to be saying that you have to go through a, a pharmaceutical company to have a healing experience. There's no reason why we shouldn't be able to join a church and consume mushrooms in a sacramental facet, just like people do with ayahuasca and the Amazon. So I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for people to find different paths to healing. And I don't think the medical model is the only one, but I think it will be one uh, important one, but I don't think that we should be afraid of these companies having a monopoly because people will, these things grow wild. Okay. All over San Francisco. So I know people who pick them and eat them. I'm like, don't pick random mushrooms. Don't do that. <laughs> what's, that what's that phrase? Every mushroom's edible at least once, right? Yeah, exactly, right? Like that is dumb. But like, I, I had a friend who was like picking mushrooms and eating them. And I was like, you do realize you could absolutely kill yourself doing this. Point I'm trying to make is that like, if these, are, if these can be grown naturally, people will mm-hmm. grow them. People will not stop growing them. You will not be able to stop people from growing them. And they will be decriminalized to the point where it'll be normal to grow them, just like marijuana. So I'm not intimidated by this company's work, but I am annoyed that they are taking this tactic because it just mm-hmm. seems unethical and irresponsible 
and just plain rude. Like, I'm sorry. That's just rude. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, no. Completely agree on that. You, know? you mentioned you, you, you touched point on something really beautiful. I think like the spiritual and the ceremonial concepts side yeah. of the yeah. psilocybin ceremonies in ayahuasca. Right. Um, yeah. So for context, for our listeners, I've sat with ayahuasca twice. I've done it with my family uh, for very intentional purposes. And for my psilocybin journeys, I've always done ceremonial concepts. I've never gone to a park or anything or like I've never gone to a, a, a museum or things of that nature. It's always been very much in a setting. But what do you speak to? I'd love to get your thoughts on, I'm just going to be straightforward. It's like the whitewashing of the psychedelic movement, right? We see a lot of ma- white male, yeah. uh, you know, very few psychedelic indigenous communities or things of that nature, because I believe that yeah. in that context, People think that Robert Gordon Wasson discovered the mushroom when in reality he was introduced to it. There's mm-hmm. a difference between being introduced and discovering, right? Yeah. So what do you think about this whole whitewashing concept of what's happening in the psychedelic community and what are we doing in terms to be able to kind of quote unquote respect and honor the ceremonial and spiritual aspect of this? You know, the best book on this topic is The Immortality Key by Brian Murrow Rescue. And it's all about how sacraments have been used by humanity as a means of spiritual growth and development. And they've been used by indigenous. I mean, like every, almost every culture of the world has some form of psychedelic growing naturally, right? Whether it be a cactus or a mushroom or ergo fungus. And so it's like really, it's hard to say if like this has been whitewashed per se, or if it has been, um, like the, I guess the word would be like culturally appropriated. Like the, the bigger thing I, the bigger issue I have is like all the white shamans who went to Peru once and came back and now they're like throwing their own ayahuasca ceremonies. Like that is a little weird, but arguably there's a, arguably there's a lot of white girls doing the same thing. So I don't know, like white, I mean the whitewashing concept, like I, I have a really hard time with this whole argument in general, just because like I'm Lebanese, Dutch, Irish, Scottish, German, and Jewish. So like I am technically white according to American standards, but mm-hmm. like I can go to Mexico and get tan and I can blend in and speak Spanish and I can go to Spain and look like a Spanish person. And I go to Italy and look like an Italian person. And I can go to Lebanon and look like a, like a Middle Eastern person. And I don't feel like, I do feel like, yes, my skin is technically white per se, but like my actual genetics are a big mishmash of a lot of shit from all over the world. In fact, most of ours are. And so like, I think that there's always been a problem with colonization and, mm-hmm. and like the dominant social group or ethnicity kind of claiming the turf of things that they know are valuable. Like that's a much bigger global discussion. Like this has been going on for way, like way too long, obviously. Like this is just like, unfortunately the human experience. And so like the whitewashing of the movement is largely a a rediscovery of psychedelics by white people. That is, is a second, is the second time this has happened in our, in our modern culture, right? Like this, like this really happened in the sixties and then it happened again now but mostly because it's been underground for so long. But like, I think the thing is, is that like the the real question, the real discussion we're having right now is this concept of spiritual, but not religious, right? Mm. Like who owns the spiritual, but not religious. And like everyone basically says, if if you look at someone who's quote unquote, new age, spiritual and conscious, they've accumulated a bunch of little things that they've gathered from other cultures that make them feel connected to something beyond themselves. And it's largely a product of not having a religion to follow anymore, right? So it's like people will look at these indigenous communities and they say, well, that seems so much more pure than the Catholicism or Christianity that I was taught, which seemed to be based in colonization and, and mass murder. So I'd much rather associate with these cultures that seem much more pure and honest than the cultures that I learned my religious practices from. And I think that that may be where there's a problem. Like, like the real issue is that like the modern religions are associated with like death and destruction and not yeah, like life and love, right? you know? And so I, I actually think it's like people are grasping for something to hold on to. 
because they don't know what to believe anymore. And so they have these experiences that, that are, that are largely derived from indigenous cultures. And they say that worked for me. And so if that worked for them, they want to, they want to be a part of it. And so like, well, you can call it whitewashing, but I actually call it more of like a deep desire for people to, to have something to believe in. And like the fact that it's not being served by, you know, the, their, the culture that they, that they were raised in. Mm. So it's kind of like a, it's a new age, a new renaissance of, of spirituality, of evolution of belief, right? Yeah. Of wake, to use the term of waking up in a way. It's a waking right? up for sure. And it's also when you wake up, and you you don't know what to believe anymore because everything is different. Scary moment. It is. Oh my God! That's why they call it a spiritual emergence these days, right? Mm-hmm. Emergency, like emergence, <laughs> spiritual emergency, spiritual emergence, like mental health breakdown. They are all very similar. Whether they are like blissful and they like, for example, when I had this like awakening last year, I was like first very excited about it because I was like, oh my God, I had a Kundalini awakening. Kundalini awakening. That was like an orgasm times a million. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. That, that was so cool. And then I started reading about it, and I was like, oh fuck. <laughs> Oh, fuck. <laughs> this is going to turn my life upside down and I'm not ready for this. And it did. And you know what? Like it took a lot of work to stay grounded throughout the last and year. What does that, what does that work look like? What does that support system look like? Cause a lot of people go into these journeys yeah. without the proper integration, without oh, the my proper God. support system. Right? Sure. And then they have mental breakdowns and they like bad trip. So yeah. can we speak to the importance of integration and support system, especially pertaining to your, to your awakening? Well, to be honest with you, it started with fasting and meditation and it actually was like a, mine really didn't come from a, a psychedelic experience that it, well, I'd say like we have different types of awakenings, right? Like I've had, I've had awakenings in the past that were definitely instigated through psychedelics, but this most recent one was fully like that, like the whole Kundalini awakening thing that was fully right. from just like lifestyle practices like three I did a lot of fasting and I was doing a lot of um how like, much fasting were you doing in I was doing way too much fasting way too much way too much fasting I was fasting like I was dating this guy who was really into fasting so I was doing like for like a year I was doing like regularly doing like one to three day fasts a few times you know a, like like one month I think I did like two three day fasts and then like I would do like at least one day I would do like, I was doing a lot of fasting. Like it wasn't like super skinny or anything, but like I definitely was doing, I was experimenting with all sorts of fasting patterns. Okay. So let's just like put it that way. And I was like, but this particular fast was like a three day fast in nature, in the sun, followed by a really amazing meal, really nourishing, healthy California food, followed by sauna, cold plunge, weight. So I hit training like uh, weightlifting, sauna, cold plunge. So I was doing like all the bioenergetic stuff. So my bio, and then I was like, also like. So your body was moving. The energy was there was really. A lot of, there was a lot of sexual energy built up at that time because I was yeah. like really attracted to this person, but like nothing was happening. And so mm. there was a lot of like built energy, just like biological level, the emotional level, the spiritual level. It was like all bubbling up and it all came out. And I was like, holy shit, you know? And, um, and it turned my life upside down. And I knew my life. I mean, I literally asked the universe, like, just give me a taste of enlightenment. Just like, I want to feel, don't ask the universe for that unless you are prepared to get kicked in the face with a spiritual awakening. Okay. Cause like, that's yeah. what happened to me. And with and spiritual so, awakenings are not pretty. People feel like it's no. like this, like a movie. It's like, ah. Well, it no, was the first time I was amazing. But then the whole thing that happened afterwards was like the unraveling of my existence. You know, like, so what happened? How did you get the support system, and what what was what was the integration like? Well, I, I I'm very very fortunate. I have a very 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 keen ability to manifest. So like, mm-hmm. it's very weird, but it's like one of those things where if like I really desire something, mm-hmm. it comes to me pretty quickly. So I was I was really asking for a meditation retreat. I was looking for a guru. I was looking for a a group of people that I could meditate with, and I was really wanting to go deep into meditation. And so I got invited to this meditation retreat and it was like, awesome. It was like 10 days, super beautiful location, health palace, like tons and tons of like, beautiful, like it was just amazing. And I, I got to go right into a 10 day meditation after burning man. And it was like, it was a few weeks after burning man actually. And then I came out of it and I was just like, so aware that my life needed to change, but really wasn't sure how. 
but I had this idea of a book I needed to write and a cookbook I needed to write. And so I started getting myself ready to like change my career towards more education. I'd already been teaching at Stanford, but I knew that I needed to move away from the Bay area. I wasn't sure where to go. And so I would like come back from that retreat and then immediately plan another one like three months later. And then after that second retreat, I got like the first retreat was like pure bliss and just like total Samadhi. And then the second Mm -hmm. one was like my face in like total mud the whole time. It just felt like painful ego awake, like painful. Look at your ego, like painful Mm. awareness of how many people I probably hurt by being ego oriented for so long. And I was like, Oh God, I have to like live with all of this shit that I've done, you know? And that's part of what this is about, by the way, but part of what 12 step groups are about is you have to actually come to terms with like everything that you've done wrong in your life and all the people that you've hurt. And so it's like, this is, you don't have to join a 12 step program to do that, but you do need to take a look in the mirror and ask yourself, how have you been living? And is it in alignment with what's good for the world and in integrity with who your, who your highest self is, or is it partially driven by lower desires? And so I had to like, that's where the Kundalini came in play, huh? Yeah. So I had to like, and then I came back from that second retreat and I went to um, this transformational technology conference and I was like, so overwhelmed by the people that were there. I was just like, there's so many people here. And I was like, I just need to go see my family for a little bit. So I went back to Illinois, had Thanksgiving with everyone and basically informed my parents that like, I was going to move to Maui. And they were like, what? I was like, yeah, I'm going to write this book. I'm going to move to Maui and I'm just going to like live there for a few months. And I have a friend who has this thing called the Pacific Science Institute. And okay. he gave me this beautiful gift of being able to live there with scientists and like work on my book. And so like, I was really, really lucky, but like, honestly, I would have been able to find probably a place anyway, but I just like knew that this place existed. And I, so I went and I lived in Maui and I like sat with myself and like really got to know myself again in a way that I hadn't really done in a while, which was like, really get to know every version of myself. Like it's called parts work. Mm-hmm. I didn't really know I was doing parts work, but I was really doing parts work. I was like working through every part of myself that needed attention and love. And I was also working on my book and working on projects and working on things. And um, I ended up being like exactly what I needed. And then the pandemic hit. And so I went full into like regression towards go mode, like Molly, mm-hmm. which was like overwork, doing too many things. Like, swung right back into the other world. Like, and you know what? Like, that's part of what this is about. Like this process of like awakening is like, you have these moments where you're like fully aware of like your highest version of yourself and what you're here to do. Mm -hmm. And then you regress and you do things that you shouldn't do. And you say things that you shouldn't say, and you act in ways that you shouldn't act and you hurt people again. And it's like this undulating in and out of conscious behavior. Right. So like nobody's really fully woke unless you've been like, totally doing the work and are really committed to being in this highest version of yourself. I would say that like, it's, it's a practice, right? It's like literally everything's a practice in life. I mean, there are Buddhists and Zen monks who are like legit, like higher power. And I know Western people who are like this. My friend Anthony was in jail for four years and Mm -hmm. literally like studied Zen and like came out totally awakened. And he's like super rad dude. But, um, I wouldn't say I'm there yet, but I'm certainly on a path and I'm certainly on a better path than I was before. And the thing is, is that the biggest awakening I got out of this experience was that to really succeed in life is to serve more people, is to help more people, is to do more for more people. living is given, yeah. Right. It's like to actually be of service. And like, so that's what everyone's really looking for in their purpose is like, how am I of service to humanity? What can I do? What they say, it's like, they happiness is happiness is just you making progress towards your service yeah yeah that's what it how it's defined oh my God. totally right totally. and it's so what i love about your story is that so many people think that psychedelics whether it's ketamine psilocybin mdma they end up being the silver bullet and people don't recognize that it's actually not a silver bullet oh. and I, what i love about your story is that you're like my awakening came far away from psychedelics, right? They like, they were nowhere near it. Um, You know, there's a phrase that one of my shamans, Ataita, that I really respect. He grew up in Colombia. Like he is like the legit thing. I'm Colombian. So this is where I met him. And he said to me, you are the medicine. Yes. Yes. So what do we, 
being yes. an advocate for for psychedelics, right? What do you say to people who you're like, you don't need psychedelics. What you need is, right, a little bit more self-work, a little bit more diet. What's the message to the individuals who are looking for this quick fix or this silver bullet um, around psychedelic health or psychedelic therapy? Well, I would say that um, the reality is, is that the, the 80% of the diseases that we're dealing with today are preventable and are l- literally a mismatch of our genetics and our environment. And so we need new tools or to rediscover previous tools that are going to help us better adapt to the world that we're living in. And psychedelics are in a tool that enables us to adapt, enables us to see ourselves more clearly, enables us to see our place in the universe more effectively. It allows us to solve problems, but it's not the answer to all of our problems. It is often going to stir a lot of stuff up that needs to be addressed. I have seen people have serious, serious traumas that they've buried in their psyche stirred up through these experiences. And as a result, they've needed more therapy. They've needed traditional mainstream treatments because they were so destabilized by these, by these medicines. So like I've always told people, like you do not need to go and take a handful of mushrooms or hit a bunch of hits of acid. You can start with something very, very small, but even then you can wait Tell these medicines are approved. If you really, really want to be the safest is you wait till they're decriminalized and approved, or you go to a place where they are no not criminalized so that you don't risk hurting yourself or getting arrested or get, because I know people who still don't realize that these aren't legal and they've gotten tickets, they've gotten they're in trouble. So like, they're not safe. They're not illegal. And I can't even prescribe them and I can't recommend them aside from ketamine. Mm-hmm. But, um, but the thing is, is that like, they are tools that can help unlock the doors of your perception in ways that you may have never seen yourself or the world before. And they can help you see the world differently. They can create new neuroplastic networks, which it was literally, you can create new ways of thinking, but the real, the real work is the integration and the integration is the actual really looking at yourself and the parts that you haven't healed, the parts that are, that are fragmented that need to be brought together and to be made whole again. And, and this, so these things are, they're really powerful tools, but they're not like going to just magically bring you back together. They're going to actually expose all of the fractures and they're going to require you to do the work to paint them back together into a piece. Like literally you have to like paint the glue on and like hold the piece there till it's dry. And then like literally like this thing that you are re- rediscovering of who you are has to be taken care of. Because like a lot of our, our egos are extremely fragile and a lot of what these things do is they blow apart the ego. And so as you do that, you're like, who am I? What am I? Where am I? You know, like that's not something that you should really do alone. You should certainly have therapy to do it if you're going to do it at all and recognize that like, you don't have to just dive in head first. We are not going to have the sixties all over again hopefully like we don't want this like widespread irresponsible use of psychedelics to like ruin this amazing momentum that could really change the world. If we were responsible, what we need is a growing up and we need a a recognition that these are amazing, but they're not going to fix everything. You are going to do the work of fixing yourself and that like expectation that these are going to just like snap your fingers and be fixed. Isn't actually the way that these work. Great. That's spot on. And I appreciate the the level of intimacy around integration, right? And so yeah. powerful around it. All right. Just to kind of wrap it up and coming to the end of the hour, I'd love to, this question I'm, I'm experimenting with, but we're five years from now. What does the psychedelic movement look like? Where are we with Ooh. psychedelics five years from now? I love predictions. Well, we will have um, MDMA assisted therapy will be available, mm-hmm. but it will still be expensive and hard to get because it will be through this, this protocol that MAPS has made, but MAPS will probably be working on concurrent studies. And so family members are going to be able to have access probably fairly soon as well. Um, we will probably see at least two to three companies have a psychedelic approved for um, some indication. I'd say new, I would say that I wouldn't expect like 50, but I would expect maybe two to three new ones approved um, if we're lucky. And I would say that there's going to be 
probably a decriminalization of at least cannabis in the next five years, which is going to be a huge win. Um, on a federal then, level. On the federal level. Yeah. I don't think that psychedelics will be decriminalized on a federal level in five years, unfortunately. I do think that there will be a second sum- summer of love happening soon. And so we'll probably be seeing a lot of babies in the next few years born from this like post pandemic love fest that's going to happen. Um, I do think that young people are going to be a lot more autonomous and fearless about their, their lives and their health. I do think that there's going to be an unavoidable amount of just recreational psychedelic use. That is just, it's just, it's unavoidable, but I think that it's not going to be as cool to just go to a party and dose yourself and your friends. I think people are going to be really intentional and spiritual and community oriented. I think there's going to be a lot of um, companies that are going to be dedicated to integration. And so there will be a lot, it'll be the cool thing to do will be to be a part of a cool integration group and to like have a cluster of people that you really trust to do this stuff with. Um, So there's going to be a lot of self-healing underground for sure. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be a lot of, I think there's going to be a shift away from recreational use and, and towards like intentional and really, 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 really mature, um, like community-based experiences that are spiritual in nature. Um, I think that there's going to be a lot, there's still going to be an unfortunate divide and mistrust by a lot of people in the conscious community towards psychedelics that are, that are, um, that are um, like in the pharma world, but there's going to be a lot of people in the actual world that are going to be mainstream individuals living in the middle of nowhere in the Midwest. And they're going to say, Mm -hmm. Hey, I just heard about psychedelics. I want to get it for my doctor. So there's going to be a demand for sure. That's going to rise um, for mainstream pharmaceutical level psychedelics. But um, you know, it's going to take a lot more than just drugs approved to get these into the hands of people. There's going to need to be um, special diversion uh, avoidance systems that are called REMS that companies Mm. will have to do. And then there's also going to be um, insurance coverage. So I had a call with the guy today. So there will be people working on getting bundled um, psychedelics covered by insurance. Oh, that's going to, that's going to be a beautiful world. Yeah. And it looks spot on. Thank you so much, Dr. Molly. Really appreciate you coming on to the podcast yeah. and jamming out. There's a lot of gold, a lot of nuggets here. And hopefully we can have you back for round two in the future once your book okay. comes out and yeah. get it done. Um, Thank you so much. Absolutely.